I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to invite you to kind of get Mark ready to go. We're going to jump in with Mark today. I wanted to make one quick announcement. Um, last Saturday was the Women's Resource Center banquet, and I, I got a chance to go to that. And I just want, I want to point out, maybe it's a little story, but just seeing all of you guys volunteering there and serving um, like an army was amazing. Um, it was a, obviously, it's an awesome cause, uh, but we're joining with organizations that are reaching into the community when we serve them. Uh, we're serving Christ in, in the same way. But what I saw and I don't normally see is this uh, diversity of serving from uh, you know, teenagers and young folks to seasoned citizens to in the middle. We've got women. We've got men. You don't normally see men serving tables. And that's to be celebrated. And so I just want to say, stop, think about that, take a moment, celebrate, move on. All right, so that, that, that's, it was really awesome. So don't forget the orphan care meeting tonight. Um, that's for everybody, whether you're interested in adoption, whether you're inter interested in foster care, or in coming alongside with respite care, or how do you help those that are doing that, um, that is tonight. So excited about this new series. All right, we're going into the book of Mark. I want you to, to be ready. Um, it's been a while since we've been through a gospel together. Uh, we've done the Sermon on the Mount uh, a few years ago, but we haven't gone straight through an entire gospel since Luke, and I, I, I'm trying to remember what year that was, but it, it, was, it was a while back. So um, if you haven't gotten a scripture journal, I, I meant to bring one up here, but it's a little black book about that large. That large. It's just got, somebody hold it up. It, yeah, there. Um, that's what it looks like. If you haven't gotten one of those, if you are new, if you are going to be with us a little bit or you're going to actually read it and you never come back again, it's, it's still cool. Um, they're on the table in the back. We just want you to use them. If you're going to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to use that, then yeah, don't get one, right? That's kind of the way we, we presented that. So because we pay for them, we want to be good stewards of that. If you're going to use it, great. You can write on it. You can circle things. You can underline. You can write out for, for study later. Um, you can use it for study with your missional community. Um, that's, if, you, if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a, a small groups of people that meet throughout the week. Um, if you're not in one of those, we want to press you. Try, find, find one. We, find me or, or, or email us here um, because that is the primary way that we care for one another. If you're not in a missional community, that we don't know how to take care of you as well. We'll do the best we can. But we, that's the primary organizing structure for church here at Summit is, is to be in that. Um, if you're not in one of those, maybe you want to be in a DNA group, which is a group of maybe three or four men or women uh, that get together and go deeper in the Word and study that. If, you don't, if you're not in one of those and you're interested in that, you can sign up at mysc3.org. Just find that and click on DNA. Is that right, Joel? Is that okay? Good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm kind of going crazy right here. All right. Okay, you there? Okay. All right, so that's, that's, so we got the MCs, we got the DNAs, and then for personal study. So grab a scripture journal, um, and there are about 50 more in, in the back. So first come, first serve, that's the last box we're ordering. All right, I've ordered, what, three or four boxes, and we thought we needed one. So y'all did good. I'm excited that you're, we want you to love the Word. We want you to, to take the Word and put it into you, and we want to remove every barrier that we can to make it easier to get God's Word into our hearts into our heads, and therefore out in our lives, right? That's, that's how that works. We want Jesus to be real to you more than anything. Now, Mark. Mark was probably, probably the first gospel penned, uh, written down. It's, it's shorter than the other ones because he's primarily writing to a Roman Gentile audience. 
These were Romans, right? They weren't Jewish for the most part. I'm sure there were some in there, but they were probably primarily Roman. What does that mean? They're action-oriented. Do this, do that, uh, move. You, got, you, know, you don't see a lot of story. There's no baby story about Jesus coming into the world. There's no genealogy telling you where he came from and why that's important like we have in Matthew or, or in Luke. Um, this is different. He jumps right to the main point because of the action orientation of these people. It's also written in the present tense. It's not written in the past tense. Like you'll see, oh, and, and then he went over here, and then he, it's like, and he went, and, and he walked here, and he goes here, and immediately this, and immediately that. And you see the word immediately. You just take your pen and just circle immediately. You'll see it at least three or four times just today through, through eight verses. It's moving, right? And so it, it presents it as alive. Mark, from what... Most scholars tell us spent time with Paul, spent time with Barnabas. Most of his time was spent with Peter. Um, so you can, most would say that you can consider Mark to be Peter's eyewitness account of what he saw with Jesus. Mark has got 16 chapters. The first eight really focus on presenting Jesus as king, and the last eight present Jesus and reveal his death. So we have a king that comes to die. What an upside-down kingdom that it comes to present and that we are supposed to live in and take to the world. That's kind of the book of Mark in a nutshell. Here are three, three points today, all right? Number one, fulfilled promises. Number two, faithful messenger. And number three, future king. So we're going verses one through three, four through six, and, six, and, and then seven and eight. All right, so let's jump in. Fulfilled promises, Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, you may be thinking, what's so remarkable about that? Well, that's quite a statement in that time written to those people. All right, some say this is the title of the gospel of Mark. Some say Mark jumps right in, and he's like, this is, this is the story. So like in Genesis and like in the book of John, we start with the first word of the book is beginning. Like in the beginning, when God created the heavens and earth, well, this is a new beginning with a new kingdom and a new king and a new humanity in Christ. That, this is the beginning of the gospel. It's not the end of the gospel. It's not part of it. This whole book is the beginning of the gospel. And we're going to talk about that. The word gospel is introduced early here. That's not uh, a Christian coined word. That was around, the Greeks used that in, in war regarding victory. The good news, the good tidings that we, we are winning the victory. Uh, you would get that on the battlefield. In the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, we see reports of victory from the battlefield as well with that word, um, gospel. That means good news. And we kind of glance over that because we've heard it so much. There's a good news version of the Bible, right? What does that mean? What is the difference between good advice and good news? Right? See, it, advice, it's not advice. Advice is something you should do. News is something that's been done. You see the difference. So Christianity is a religion or a faith of news, not what you need to do to get here, to perform. It's something that's been done. It's not, hey, if you do this, here's some good advice, and then you'll be acceptable to God. It's no, here's what Christ has done, therefore you are acceptable to God if you trust in him. And so there's a big difference. That, that, and this is what is different from Christianity and every other religion. This is why it's not, oh, whatever religion you know, works for you, and it's not that we're being exclusive to be mean. It's just, this is true, that we believe this. There is only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus, and so we're very passionate that everybody understands that, right? This is it's different than every other religion. God did it. We don't work up to him. He came down to us. 
He condescended. There's more, because Mark, for him, the coming of Jesus is the beginning of the fulfillment of the good news. This is from Isaiah. That's why he quotes Isaiah uh, from the Old Testament. This is quoted in verse 3. God himself has come to restore his people, establish his kingdom, and rule the earth while his glory fills the earth. See, the gospel isn't just a set of truths. It's not a set of beliefs that you choose. It's the story, and it has that in it, but that's not all of it, right? It's the story of God keeping his promises from Genesis where he told Abraham, in you I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep my promise, and this is how it's going to unfold, and all of history bows to the king of history. In fact, this whole story, his death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. It's not the whole thing. That's what Mark is saying. That's what he's covering. And he says, all of this, my whole book, everything I've written, that's the beginning of the gospel. You know where the end is? Well, we got revelation, and then we live. He's coming back. And so this is all part of it. And so the gospel at its heart, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel is a person. It's Jesus. Do you know how important that is? That it's not good advice. That it's not what you need to do. It's not how you need to measure up. It's what he has done. And when we receive that, it changes our lives. And our obedience is out of joy from acceptance in God, not for his acceptance. And it changes the way you live and the way you love and the way you can sacrifice and the way that you can be giving of yourself and others-centered. And it's not so that you get paid back or patted on the back so that you can be seen as a great person. You do it because you love Christ. It's just a different way of thinking. It's a paradigm shift in how we think and engage with the world. Now, the gospel can be understood and reduced to Jesus coming, dying for us, and being raised, and then we believe in him, and we don't go to hell when we die. Is that true? Yes, that's true, but it's just so limited. It's not even what Mark is saying. Mark is saying this is so, this is so much bigger. There's more to the gospel than getting a tract of the four spiritual laws or, or the Roman road and just memorizing a few facts and walking an aisle and signing a card and getting baptized and then living the same. That's religion. That's not the gospel. That's not what he's sharing. There's, there's this life component, this upside-down living, this new creation, this new heart, this desire to know who God is more than anything in this life, to, to live for him, to hate it when you don't and love it when you do, that, that when you are doing really well, you give him glory, and when you blow it, you say, oh, I've only got to, I've got to turn to him, I've got to turn around. It's all about him, no matter how your behavior is coming across. That's what Christianity is about, right? And so the, the, it's more than what we've presented it as. Maybe you haven't seen that. And we've said this plenty of times before. I heard this from Tim Keller maybe seven or eight years ago, that the gospel, that, that Christianity, right, that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of Christian life. It's not just, hey, you know, it's death, burial, resurrection, believe in that, and you won't go to hell. That's, that's very little, and it's individually focused, and it's so much bigger than that. It's the A to Z. It's that plus how you live every day and how you become a, a loving friend and how you become a good spouse and how you become a competent parent. It is how you live. It's how you sacrifice. It's how you choose to walk through every day. Colossians 2, 6 as you, says, as you therefore received Christ Jesus, as you walk, he says walk in him or live in him, depending on the translation that you have. 
You, you, how, did you, how did you receive him? And therefore, how do you live? It's you, re- you live the same that you receive him. You know that you couldn't save yourself. You know that you have nothing to offer in payment for your sin. You know you couldn't be good enough. You keep trying to measure it up, but you know in your heart you can't do that. You totally had to depend on him to believe and to trust what he did alone. Jesus is the only one that ever lived a perfect life. And that's all that pure holiness and righteousness, that's what God requires is perfection. You can't do that. I can't do that. And so guess what? The way that we came to Christ, realizing we don't earn this, that it is him and we trust in him, that we get his righteousness imputed to us, credited to our account. Therefore, we're not just acceptable to God. We're not just tolerated by God legally, which is true that we are delighted in by God because his son did that, that we are his sons and daughters now. We come into his presence. He enjoys us. That way you came to Christ by salvation, you live that exact same way every day. That's how we're we're supposed to live. That's called walking in the Spirit, not walking in the flesh, right? And so we live that way. We don't just get saved and then try to live a good life or be a good person. We don't just get a push from God and then carry on. We live dependent on Jesus for all of life. He is our source. He is our means. He is our goal. He gets the credit, and we get the joy that results from living a life the way God designed it and saying, no, you know what? I think I know better. I'm not doing this garden thing again. I trust you. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to get married. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to stay single. Whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it to your glory and not for myself. That's just a different way to, to live, right, and, and to, to think like that. And so Mark's gospel is looking at a new kingdom, a new way of living, It's coming. It's being established, and it will continue to be established until Jesus comes back. And it's what he promised way back in Genesis. That's why we went through the entire book of Genesis. So we can hit the gospel and go, yep, that, here it is. This is what it's talking about. This is when he came and did it. It's all here. This is plan A. It's not plan B. There is no plan B. Jesus is not plan B, period. Take encouragement from that. When you're in your storm, when you're, you, you don't see any hope, when you feel like God's given up on you or he doesn't love you anymore, you go, it's not plan B, it's plan A. Hold on. He has never left you. You can never be separated from him no matter what your circumstances are. They do not dictate your identity. So verse 1 says, the good news of Jesus, Jesus means God is salvation. It's transliteration of Joshua from the Old Testament. My son's name is Joshua. That is one reason why. <laughs> I can remember that, right? God is salvation. Christ means Messiah or the anointed one who will be the warrior, king, deliverer, the freer of his people from the oppressor, the sin, the bondage. Not only is there going to be a physical uh, exodus from, from Pharaoh and Egypt, there's going to be a spiritual exodus from sin and death. And that's what Jesus has come to do is to lead the next exodus to the new kingdom. That's what we're going to see. The Son of God, in verse 1, is quite a title in and of itself. Jesus is identified as Lord. He's mentioned in verse 3, and we're quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. And when you see that, uh, it, it says, uh, the, voice crying, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. If you look at Isaiah 40, verse 3, the word Lord there is Yahweh. It's not curious in, 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 in Greek, in, in the original, in, in Isaiah, it means God himself which is a big thing to say to these people. We just say, Lord, this, Lord, and it can be master, or, you know, but it means Yahweh. Now, if you don't know what that means, it's God himself whose glory filled the temple of the Old Testament. Same, same God. 
That's what Mark is saying. It's not just the Messiah that's come, the anointed one, the one that's going to be the king that's going to rule and restore things and be the reign and his presence uh, on earth. It is like God himself came in the person of Jesus, fullness of the Godhead of the Trinity in a person. That's a wild thought for Mark's audience. We just kind of look at it. It's because we're so far removed from that culture. And so we've got to stop and think and meditate on that. This is, he's saying the promise has been fulfilled. This is God's people who've been looking for the one since Adam and Eve had their first child. Is this the one that's going to restore, that's going to make the, the curse, the sin, who's going to reverse the curse, who's going to make all things that are bad come untrue, that's going to make everything right? Is this the one? Is it Seth? No. Is it Noah? No. Is it Moses? Is it, who is it? That's why he quotes Isaiah 40. I'm going to read verses uh, 3 through 5, which is a little bit more, because whenever uh, Old Testament is quoted in the Old Testament, it's usually understood the people, the hearers would know what's before and after. Kind of, They would know the context, which we don't, because we don't know the word as well. Right? So verse 3 is, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his, ways, make his path straight. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain shall and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed for all flesh shall see it. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. And so the Old Testament scripture from Isaiah 40 here, you can't miss the royal language. Right? It's very important you hear the kingly, majesty, royal. What's happening here is mountains are being leveled and valleys are being brought up and rough places are being made smooth because dignitary is coming to town. Royalty is coming to town. You want to make it as inviting as possible because he's the king of your kingdom. You want to make this easy for him. That's the language. Son of God, we've got Messiah, and he's, he's getting all these point, uh, painting all these pictures. See, the gospel isn't a plan just for your individual salvation. It is the plan for the restoration of all things, to restore the kingdom of creation and the right rule and reign of the one who made it. You and I are part of that. The gospel is so much bigger than just our salvation. It's a part of it, but it's such a small piece in a large story that we're just brought up into that we get to play a part in. And keep in mind that all the original believers of Jesus, all the followers, including Mark, had far more cultural and educational barriers to believing than, than, that, that God himself was in the flesh than you or I do. The way they, they were trained, what they were taught to, to, to think, right? They would not even speak the name Yahweh. It would just be written out because it was so holy. How in the world could he inhabit a person? What? We're supposed to have some Davidic king come. Somebody come back and take, take us back from the government just like Moses did. That's the prophecy. That's crazy. And that's why Mark is so adamant. He's like, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me quote from the Old Testament. Let me use Yahweh as a reference. Let me boom, 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 boom. The king is coming. Let's be clear. He's very, I mean, he's, he has come. Just like he said, fulfill prophecy. Faithful messenger. Let's move on. So we, we, we see that the king is coming, and Mark wants us to see that. He wants his readers to know what's happening, that there is a kingdom. They understand this language. Um, John the Baptist then, he appears briefly. 
And it's, it's funny because like verse 4 just says, John appeared, like magically materialized. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. All right, you know, write however you want. That was a short sentence, you know. And so we're, we're action, we're moving. We're in, we're out. We're telling stories, man. We got 16 chapters, right? And so John, appeared, John the Baptist appears here briefly. And you could get the wrong idea about John the Baptist as this unsavory, unclean dude that he's a little off, like, you know, like your crazy uncle that shows up like at holidays and stuff. And he's, he's like wearing camel hair and he's got the leather strap tied off. He's eating bugs and living off the grid. I mean, that's kind of the picture you, you kind of get, right? It's not as, you know, this, this is a refined, regal message that you would think, you know, maybe, maybe some celebrity preacher that had it kind of all together would, would come tell. But it, he doesn't, and he doesn't seem a proper messenger for the message that's coming, that the king is coming to restore the kingdom. He just seems out of place, even a bit opposite. You might say a bit upside down, which is exactly what the kingdom is going to look like, upside down. In fact, he's being in and presenting in a manner consistent with Old Testament prophets. In fact, he is an Old Testament prophet. He's the last one. John, Jesus. There's 400 years in between, but there's really nothing's changed. God just stopped speaking. So he's the last Old Testament prophet, even though he shows up in the New Testament. And his appearance identifies him with this desert region. It's where he lives. <laughs> his job is to... According to Luke 1.17, prepare the way for Jesus to make the people ready to hear. And so he calls people away from their normal uh, routines and comforts of home in, in, the, in the towns that they lived in. And he called them to repentance and forgiveness of sin out in the desert. Verse 5 says, all the country of Judea and, and all of Jerusalem, I mean, that's a lot of people, right? We're, we're going out, going out to him in the wilderness. And I don't think of the wilderness as like this plush forest that's got plenty of water everywhere and you go hunting and kill for food and that's not I don't know why we use the word wilderness there if you get a different translation you find the word desert it's the same word a desert is a place where you can't stay alive on your own for very long you don't last very long life isn't sustained very easily if at all it's where Israel wandered for 40 years and they were only kept alive by the miraculous intervention of God it's where Moses met God in the burning bush. It's where Jacob wrestled with an angel. It's where you go to meet God historically in the Bible. It's where John the Baptist is calling the people of God to come who need a new exodus from the old kingdom. It's time. The fullness of time has come. It's a desert where God historically brings his people and prepares them to be delivered. Right? He prepares his people for his way. And many of you are living in a similar place now, right now. It's a place where you don't know if you can keep it up. You don't know if you can survive much longer. You don't know if you can carry on. You believe in God, but the real hope of your life, the real thing that keeps you alive, what keeps you from drying up, the real hope that you, you think makes you feel like you're a worthwhile person has run out. Your real water, your real bread. You realize when you're in the desert that you won't make it without God, that you must turn to him. You realize that everything in your life will run dry except God. That's the beauty of a desert. He alone will sustain you. Nothing else will do it. Not a great reputation, 
not a successful business, not a put-together family, having the right spouse, having the right job, having the right education, being able to take multiple vacations and travel, retirement, a healthy bank account. Those aren't wrong. But they are not why you live, and they will not sustain you, and they will run out at some point. The real, this realization is life-changing. And that's what's happening here in the book of Mark. This is what's happening in the desert. People in large numbers, all from Judea, all Jerusalem, they were renouncing their sin. Can you imagine what that looked like? Awesome. Just to think, people are like, they're not like, oh, excusing it or pushing, oh, my sin's not too bad. It's not, it's not. They're like, we're messed up. How, how fresh would that be when everybody, because that's what really happens. We walk in here, and what you're doing by coming in here is re- realizing and telling everybody, you ain't enough. That's what the cross does. It outs you and me as sinners. You must have something better and bigger and more sufficient than yourself. And so they're just like saying it. <laughs> we want... We need help. I want to confess. I want to repent. I want to turn away from sin, from the way that I'm living, from my own independence from God. I want to live my life according to God. And so the way they would do that, they would would talk or whatever. They would confess. They would receive forgiveness. And then to show that, they would get baptized. So it was a picture of them getting baptized and and being forgiven. And baptism was a, a ritual washing. It's not a new concept here. We do it. In this church, we have believer's baptism. We believe in that. It means, you know, for Christians, it's to show a new life. You go down into the water, which is representing the grave and death, and then you're raised back up to walk in newness of life. You come out of the grave, just like Jesus did. He he went through death, burial, and resurrection, and therefore, we can, spiritually, and then again, physically later. And so, it's this picture in the Christian view of coming into a new life, walking in a new kingdom with a new king and a new creation. That's what the picture of baptism is for us. But that's not what it was originally. It was done to make you pure from sin, to be able to approach God, to be able to be in his presence. Gentiles, or or non-Jews, when they were converted to Judaism, they were taken to what was called a mikvah, and and they would, it's like a big uh, 150-gallon, like a horse trough, but it was in stone, and it would get baptized all the way down and back up. We used to do baptisms in a horse trough before we had that nice little portable thing, right? It was cold. I remember people just sitting there, you know, and there was like 150 down, boom. You're new. I'm not sure why I just shook like that. It was, they were cold. <laughs> so the Gentiles would do a full baptism. And the Jews would wash their hands and purify themselves. They didn't need a full thing. They were born in the Jew, you know, Jew lineage. They were good. They were kind of clean by association. Here's what's interesting about John the Baptist. Here's what he, he broke tradition on. I love this. I didn't even realize this. It never occurred to me. The Gentiles who were baptized before, it was self-cleaning. They got into the bath, they went down, they came back up, they were good. Jews went in, when they, when they washed their hands, they washed them themselves, self-cleaning. For this baptism of John, this new way of living, John says, you need to have somebody else baptize you. Wow, that's, that's awesome. You, you, you need to have somebody else do that. You can't do that yourself. You don't understand it doesn't work. You may have thought it worked. You may have thought the old covenant worked. It's not going to work any longer. There's one coming that's going to wipe that away and fill that. And he's, it's going to be this paradigm shift. 
you don't baptize yourself. You don't clean yourself up. You can't. Because when you do that, you're just measuring up to your own standards. You think you look pretty clean. You're pretty good. You're, you're, that's not bad. You can't even see your backside. You just have to guess. Somebody else needs to wash you clean. You actually need to do more than turn over a new leaf, start a new habit, start a quiet time, read some scripture, be a good person. It's not enough. You need to have external input. You need a change. Your heart needs to be flipped. You need to be awoken. You're dead. You need to come to life. You can't do that kind of stuff. You have no power. But you can fool yourself. Number three, future kingdom. Verses 7 and 8. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John is pointing to the future king who will restore the kingdom that's been broken and ravaged by sin. And here's the hope that John gives us, that it's not about John. He's like, look, I'm not even worthy to, to tie his sandal. It's not really about me. I'm giving you a picture. Here's the, there's a kingdom coming. It's amazing. I'm just getting you ready. I'm just fulfilling scripture here. I am just a lowly player and an actor in, in the author's role. My rightful place, your rightful place, John's rightful place in our purpose, like him, is to point to the real hero of the kingdom, the king. The, the lead actor, the one who wrote the play, right? That we have, and we have to jump a little ahead in this story because it doesn't get to it in verse 8, and so I'm just going to jump ahead, but it, it's Jesus. You got to talk about Jesus. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a church. It's about the Son of God. It's real simple. And what he's saying is, it's more than just a, a physical washing that you need. That's not doing it. It's more than just a confession you had when you were 12 or, or some belief that, maybe, you know, that, that little card that you signed has any power whatsoever. The power is the object of your faith, not, not the quality of your faith. We've said that a ton of times. We need a radical shift in how we engage life, a paradigm shift in, in how we, we think and stop trying to wash ourselves through proving ourselves or getting that degree. It's great to get a degree. Are you getting that so that you'll think you mean something, that you have value and significance? Are you getting that job? Are you going to have, oh, I've got to have the right marriage. Or I've got kids, you've got to straighten up. There are people watching. They're going to think I'm a terrible parent. Mm, yeah, probably. <laughs> Just going to lay that one down. <laughs> At some point, you will fail. That's why there's hope. It's not about you measuring up. It's not about you giving up either. It's about out of joy. The joy that exists and existed in the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, before the cre creation ever happened. We were not created because God was lonely, or he needed somebody, or he needed to complete himself, or he wanted to have joy of a relationship. He had all of that perfectly. And what he did was create it to explode it 
to have it enjoyed even more. And so our joy should come out of Christ himself, not what we do for somebody that makes us feel good. But because of how we are in Christ and we are experiencing the joy that he has in and of himself, that makes us full people. We are full. I don't need you. I don't need to use you to get full. I am full, therefore I can outflow on you. I can, I can live, I can give, I can be sacrificial, I can be other-centered. That's Christian living. And we've got to get this paradigm shift to go, hey, I need to, if I do all this stuff, then God will accept me. Or if I do all this stuff, then you'll think I'm a good person. I'm like, ah, that's not Christian. It's, it's, it's bigger than, than, than that, right? And so we've got to have somebody else come in, and the paradigm shift is kind of like this. I've got this uh, Apple, Apple Watch, right? And so it's digital. Before the digital watch, 100 years ago, or, you know, 1500s, there was, you know, switch, think of a swatch, maybe, or uh, a clock with a face on it, right? Remember that kind of watch? It told time. You know, somebody like, I've never heard of that. A phone with a cord? Yeah. So, you know, we had watches that actually had moving parts and gadgets and sprockets. It told time. This is digital. It does the same thing, but by an entirely different mechanism. It has a quartz piece. I don't know how it works, but it's digital. Same purpose, live the same life, totally different way. We've got to change how we think. You know what the word for that is? Repent. Metanoia means to change your way of thinking, how you look at things, and therefore your life is different because of that. That's Christian repentance. It's the difference in the gospel and religion. You get off of the spiritual treadmill that you're running on, and you're like, oh, sin, i got to confess, I'll get forgiveness. Oh, okay, I'm good. Oh, sin, i got to confess, forgiveness. Okay, shoot, did it again. I mean, and you're just cycling, and you're, all you're constantly doing is John the Baptisting it. And you need to be baptized by the Spirit. And what that means is live and walk in the Spirit. Learn to live that it's not about keeping the rules, it's about the rules becoming defining of your character. Because the Ten Commandments isn't what you need to just do, it's who God is. These will now be statements of your character, not a bar you have to meet so that he'll love you. That's the flip. That's good news. Guys, we're on a mission that is way too big for us. <laughs> you can't do it. I, can't, I, I feel it a lot. I spend a lot of time repenting just because I, I get overwhelmed and then I quit. <laughs> I'm like, okay, take that, take that to the cross. You know, Jesus is not surprised by you. You, you think much more of yourself than he does. You know, <laughs> come on. He knows you're kind of weak there. That's why he loves it, because it shows him off and not you. This mission is intentionally bigger than us, so that we can't do it on our own, so that we must need him, we must walk in him so that he will get the credit. And when he gets credit, what happens is if you're a Christian, you love it. You rejoice in the fact that he looks good. That it's not about, hey, man, we pulled off that song, or, oh, man, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. Great, whatever. Not the point. Jesus is the hero. He is the king. It's his kingdom. And when we realize and get those things in that place, our hearts are like, yes, something worthy of worship. 
Not something I'm trying to talk myself into. It is you. This is what all this is about. This is why we do what we do. This is the nature of the kingdom. This is why we've got to be born again and we can't just try harder. That doesn't work. That will fail. You'll get tired. You'll get bitter. You'll get angry. You'll just be miserable to be around at some point and calling yourself a Christian. No wonder nobody wants to go to church. They're hanging, hanging around with people. They're just tired and burned out and that's it. So let's, how do we get in? How does the spirit, how do we live like that? Make that paradigm shift. Because the nature of the kingdom that Jesus brought is where the lame walk, the blind see, the dead live, the marginalized are included, right? That, that they are loved, that spiritual captives are set free. This is language of the kingdom, not you better, you don't, you have to, you measure up. That's not the kingdom, that's religion. That's what Jesus came to end. It's about living real life, being a real human a real person the way that Adam and Eve were initially and having that restored to you where you can walk with God in the cool of the day and you can enjoy a relationship with him and his joy spills out into us and it's like, well, that's miraculous. Yeah, it's normal in the new kingdom. <laughs> I love this. I just, I like Mark. It's so good. And so we can become powerful messengers just like John the Baptist. We point to Jesus, the true hero, through the Holy Spirit. We can speak of his life-changing effect in our lives with conviction. Not something I had to memorize or I had to go to class to share this, which is great if you're not good with that. But you know what? The life doesn't come out of that. That's a mechanism. That is a way, a process. If there's no life, no heart, no, no heartbeat behind it, it's dead no matter how slick the presentation is. And so we have to be born again. Or we're going to be dead churches with a bunch of dead people raising our arms to something we don't understand or care about. Stay home. But you're here. And you, you want to know Jesus. I know you do. We show up. This, this is why we serve at Women's Resource Center banquets. This is why we build ramps for the Family Resource Center. This is why we do what we do. We, we want to give people a ride, or we want to fill out this card so that our time can be well stewarded. Or we want to give our money, not so that I can hit that 10% from the Old Testament, so I can be a part of what God is doing. And we say, hey, we're not trying to get from you. We want, you, we want that for you. That's so that you can truly live and trust God with everything. We want... We want others to see how great he is, not how great we are. So I say it's not a tweak on the old system. Try a little harder, turn a new leaf, give it another shot. Mm, Jesus says, mm -mm. I'm the new system. I'm the king. It's my kingdom. I started it then, it's inaugurated, and I am building it now. And so pockets of his kingdom can break out and have here, now, we're part of it. We are part of the kingdom. Every time you go serve somewhere, give or, or give of yourself or you're helping somebody tutor and you, and you go to loads of love or you go, when you're giving of yourself, when you come on Sunday, we're advancing the kingdom of God. Now, you are important. You have a purpose. It's not just about some dude on a stage telling you what he thinks the Bible says. That's a small part of it. It's important. But let's not just think like that. Let's expand our thinking. The kingdom is here. If you're not a Christian, what does it mean? It means repenting of your sin and turning to King Jesus for eternal life. If you are a Christian, it means repenting of your independence of God, of your doing it your own way, or you're thinking you got a better way. You say, I renounce that. I repent of that. I come to the cross, and I turn to King Jesus today for my life, daily, walk in the Spirit. 
How do I do this? How do I repent? How do I constantly keep coming to the cross? I keep coming to living water. That's a present active uh, verb there where you come to Jesus for water. He's your sustenance. You need him every day. Just like you need food, you need him. That's the way he set that up to to kind of work out in, in, in real life. That's the good news of the kingdom. It's not good advice. It's not what you need to do. It's who you are becoming by his grace. And so now Jesus lives in us to see his kingdom advance from the neighborhoods to the nations. That's our mission statement. So we're going to pray together. I'm trying to give you a little extra time to pray, to meditate, to worship, to repent, or to gather around here. You can come to the table if you need to come by yourself. There's three tables in the back. If this is your first time here, we invite you. If you're a Christian, come, come take the Lord's Supper with us. If you're not, come talk to us. Pray with us. Don't take the Lord's Supper. I want you to understand what that means. I don't want you to take of it in an unworthy manner. And we gather around. There's some music, worship teams playing. Stay as long as you need to and just continue to talk and pray. Pray with your family. Pray with your friends. Ask the Lord to speak to you. This is a beautiful time to respond to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God. We do it every week, and guess what? Every week is beautiful. Oh, it's ritualistic. It's not. I tell my wife I love her a lot, and I mean it every time. It's not a ritual unless you make it one. It's alive, and it's to be celebrated and enjoyed. And so we do that, and we gather around, and then we'll sing. There'll be people in the back to pray with you. Um, Okay, awesome. we got men and women. If you want somebody to pray with you, I see Marianne back there. I'll be back there, Joey, Sean. We'd love to pray with you.